Thanks, Pastor Marvin. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Some of you I'm, I'm meeting for the very first time. Uh, some of you I've known for quite a while, but either way, it's great to see you this morning. My wife, Lori, my kids were here in the first service, and it's always good to be able to come back here to Burlington and to worship with you. Uh, I've been around for a while, if we're, if we're just meeting each other. In fact, I remember when I first started attending church on Sunday mornings when I was in grad school, which is why I moved to this part of the country. They used to get up and say, we have a school that is 20 years old. And now I see that we have a school that's 40 years old. And I wonder uh, where the time went. And I see some of you that I come back and you're, you're a lot taller and older than I remember before. Uh, but it is always great to see what God is up to. We're going to continue in this sermon series, uh, as Pastor Marvin said, we're, that we're calling Anxious for Nothing. And we've been in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, throughout this series. And we're going to continue in that uh, as we go today. And I, thinking about worry and thinking about all the things that we get anxious about, I was, I was thinking this week about a place that I used to love to go. Uh, when I was in seminary, when I was in graduate school up on the North Shore, there was a spot that I used to love to go and I would go there and read or I would study or I would sit there. And it's a place outside of Gloucester called Rafe's Chasm. Has anyone ever been to Rafe's Chasm? It's kind of off the beaten path. There's a, Jay, you've been there? Yeah, it's off the beaten path. There's no sign, but you can find it online, and you walk down this path. And then you get there, and there's these big cliffs that overlook the ocean. And you can sit there for hours and watch the waves crash against the rocks. It reminds me, I think a place probably more of you have been is if you've ever walked the marginal way in a gunquit, Maine, in that area, where just a spot where you can watch the waves crash over the rocks. And you look on the right-hand side there, that's a picture of Rafe's Chasm in 1902. And so what strikes me about that is the rocks that were there in the early 1900s are, are pretty much the same rocks that exist today. Even though wave after wave has crashed into them, and you know what that picture looks like, where you're standing there and you see a, a rock and the wave comes rolling in and it completely covers the rock and then the wave starts to recede and that rock uh, rises back up to the surface, or doesn't rise to the surface, but reappears and is still steady. When I think about worry and anxiety, that's who I want to be. I know worry is going to come. I know there's going to be plenty of things in this world to worry about. There's a never-ending source of things uh, that we're going to have to deal with, from uh, having a family to the things that are happening in our world. There's this never-ending source of waves that are going to come crashing in. And what I want to be is the kind of person, those waves come crashing in, and then they recede, and yet I'm still standing firm. In fact, when I think about the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words in the letter to the church at Philippi, in this book of Philippians that we've been looking at, I feel like that's who Paul is. That Paul's that kind of guy, because you read about Paul's life. If you don't know about Paul, he, he uh, was one of the founders of many of the early churches in the life of the church, and he wrote over half the New Testament. He was beaten and tortured, imprisoned, shipwrecked. In fact, when he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. And if there's any place where you might lose your hope and you might lose your peace, it's sitting in a Roman prison. And yet he's strong. The waves keep crashing. 
and he stays firm. I want to be like that. Wouldn't you love to be like that in life? No matter how many waves come, no matter how many worries come, that those waves recede and you're still standing strong. I'll tell you what I feel like, though. I feel a whole lot more like Plum Island in my life. I'd like to be Rafe's chasm. I feel like Plum Island. Plum Island's also right off the North Shore. But something happens differently at Plum Island when the waves come crashing in over and over again. And if I had a picture of Plum Island in the early 1900s, it wouldn't look anywhere near what it looks like now. There'd be a whole lot more beachfront in the early 1900s because what happens in Plum Island is wave after wave comes crashing in and the beach gets eroded and eroded and eroded. And now whenever there's a massive storm off the coast, houses are toppling over because the erosion continues to happen. I'll tell you what I want to be. I want to be Rafe's chasm, but this is often how I feel. And we come into scripture and we come into the Bible and we hear Jesus in those, in those verses that Pastor Marvin just read. We hear Jesus say, say something like in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. He says, who by worrying or being anxious can add a single hour to your life? Why would you worry, Jesus said? It doesn't change anything. And we get to these verses in Philippians chapter 4 that if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've gone over and over again. And Paul has this little phrase in the middle of these verses. He says, be anxious for nothing. So Jesus comes in and says, why would you worry? It doesn't add a single hour to your life. And Paul comes in and says, just be anxious for nothing. And you and I look at the world and everything that's happening and the challenges that we have in relationship and everything that's going on and politics and everything else that's happening in our world. And we say back to Jesus and Paul, that's a lot easier said than done. In fact, uh, this week, just this week, the U.S. Preventive Task Force. Did you know we had one of those? I have no idea what that is. But it's a very, uh, something very official. The, the U.S. Preventive Task Force recommended that every adult in the United States under 65 be routinely screened for anxiety. And they said that 26% of men and 40% of women will have some sort of anxiety disorder throughout the course of their life. And I'll tell you, even if you and I, if you feel like uh, you've never gotten to the, to the place where uh, you have a di diagnosable anxiety disorder, we all know what it's like to be anxious. So we've been asking this question, what does it look like to be anxious for nothing? And we're asking not just what would, what, not what the daytime shock, talk shows tell us about not being anxious. Certainly we're not asking what would social media tell us about not being anxious, although I'm sure you can find plenty of life hacks out there if you'd like. We're not even asking, uh, you know, what do, our, what do our friends or what do the, the best thinkers of our day tell us about this, although that can be helpful. We're asking over these last few weeks, what does God have to say about this? And this whole sermon series isn't just a response to something that's happening in our fast-paced culture today. This is something that Scripture talks about. Jesus' longest sermon, his best-known sermon, is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's about 2,500 words, and Pastor Marvin just read 250 of those words. And Jesus himself takes 10% of his longest sermon and speaks directly to worry and anxiety 2,000 years ago. And he did it for them back then, and he did it for us right now. 
is something we ought to think about. Now, if you pull out this card, did everyone get a card like this when you walked in today? If you didn't get a card, you could raise your hand and and some of our ushers will be happy to help you out. I see a couple hands up here. Our ushers will get those around. If you look at the card, on the front of the card, we have Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And we have been encouraging you over the last couple of weeks, we've been encouraging you to memorize these verses and commit them to memory. Now, I have a prize here. This is true. I have a prize. And it is either a trip to Hawaii (laughs) or another great prize. (laughs) But I have a prize here for anyone that has memorized Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Does someone have it? I see that hand there. I see another hand. Well, uh, we have a lot of people that have it. Oh, man, I got to get more prizes. <laughs> I really underestimated you. All right, we got a bunch of people that have it. All right, here's what, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to trust you. We have books in, in the office. So after, after church, I'm going to ask one person to do it now. And after the service, if you have it, uh, we, have, we have something for you uh, in, the, in the office. But would you be willing to give it a try? Yeah, you would. Come on up. Come on up. Is that Ravendra? No, no, we haven't met before. All right. What's your, what's your name? Satish. Satish? Yeah. All right. Come on up, Satish. Everyone, would you please welcome Satish? Yeah. All right. Can you do it without the card? Yeah. You, you got it. You're not even nervous. <laughs> Talk about anxiety over nothing. It's like you were ready to do this from the second you woke up this morning. Philippines 4-4. Oh, we got, we got the mic on? All right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, uh, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard you hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, um, if um, if it has any value. Excellence, yeah. If it, if it has any excellence, uh, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Um, and then think about these things. Uh, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Nice. There you go. Good job, man. That is awesome. Now, some of you were very anxious for him. (laughs) I could hear you. You couldn't even handle it. You couldn't even let him think. Just shouting out the words from your card. So see, we know what this feels like, anxiety and worry, and that's excellent. Thank you so much. It's great to see so many hands go up that you've committed these verses to memory. 
And we've talked about this over the last few weeks. And we said a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about that phrase rejoice. It's the first command in the passage that Paul gives us. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And we said that when we, we feel anxiety over things that are uncertain, that we should celebrate what is certain about God. And then last week, we took another look at the passage, and we talked about this, this place where Paul says, let your reasonableness, or your version may say, may say, let your gentleness be known to all. And we talked about how Paul is saying, this is something, this, this peace that comes from knowing God, is something that we should let uh, define us as a community and people, followers of Jesus Christ. We should let other people see it, that we should be contagiously calm, is what we said. And just so you know where we're headed, this week we're talking about really what I think is the heart of this passage, verses 6 and 7, where Paul talks about prayer. And then next week we're going to talk about these, these verses where Paul talks about thinking about these things, what should we be thinking about, and then he says, uh, practice these things. And that's how we'll finish this series in just a couple of weeks. But when we come into verses 6 and 7 here, where we're going to focus our time today, here we find that phrase that we mentioned earlier, where Paul comes in to you and me, and he just very simply says, do not be anxious about anything. I wish. I would love that. And so what we're going to see throughout the course of these verses today is what Paul tells us to do so that you can be anxious about nothing, how he says to do it, and what the results will be. We're talking about what Paul tells you and me to do so that we are not anxious about anything, how he tells us to do it, and what the results will be. In verse 6, you see exactly what Paul calls us to do. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when I read that phrase, I think what Paul is saying to you and to me is if you want to get rid of anxiety, if I want to get rid of anxiety in my life, that you and I need to find a way to relocate our worry. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in a moment. Paul's saying, let your requests be made known to God. If you want to get rid of anxiety in your life, if you want to be anxious for nothing, find a way to relocate your worry. I bet all of us in the room have some place we go to relocate our worry when we're thinking about something. For some of you, it's your, it's your parents, it's your mom or your dad. Uh, you're, you're worried about all sorts of things. Things are happening, and so you're driving in the car, and you hit that Bluetooth button, and you get them on the phone, and that entire drive, you're sitting in traffic on the way into Boston, and the entire time, you're just unloading. I see some heads nodding around the room. You're just unloading everything that you're worried about, everything that you're anxious about, because you know you have parents that are willing to hear it, and they're willing to help you out with it. For some of us, it's a good friend. You have a good friend or you have groups of friends that you're able to come together and you're just able to relocate your worry onto those friends. For some of you, uh, it's social media, right? I would say a less effective way, but still some way. If you get on social media right now, I guarantee you people are offloading their worries out into social media. And so you get on there and you say all your anxiety, your worry, you just put it out there. And somehow by doing that, you're trying to relocate those things and get them off your shoulders. 
uh, some of us choose to, to go see a good counselor. And listen, I'm a, I'm a big fan of good Christian counseling. It's something that has been really valuable to me over the years. So we go into that place and, and we try to relocate our worry by speaking it out loud. Now, I'm for many of those things. The social media one, I'd rank the lowest. But I'm for many of those things. I'm for having good friends and good family that you can speak to. I'm for finding a good counselor that you can work with. I'm for all of those things. I don't think that when we see Paul here tell us to let our requests be made known to God, that he's giving us an either or. But I do think what he is giving us is the ultimate solution to finding a way to get rid or be rid of worry and anxiety. In fact, in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, Peter says it a little bit differently to the church. Peter says it this way. He says, as you go, you should be casting your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. And that, that word casting, to cast, literally means to relocate something. Peter says to the church, and he says to you and to me, you should be, as you go through your life, I love that this is an active verb, as you go through your life, you should be casting your cares onto God. And I think what Scripture will tell us is that there's nothing wrong with having good people that you can cast your cares onto and your worry to, but there is something different about casting your cares on the Lord. I'll tell you how it happens. You guys ready over there? Because it's coming. We found the softest monkey from the Noah's Ark playset in the nursery that we could find, all right? Now, some of you right now are worried and anxious about a lawsuit, and I am too, all right? But here we go. Here's what happens. Get ready. I'm not joking. Here's what happens. is we cast our cares, that wasn't anywhere close to where I wanted it to go. And I've caught Bev Piccarello, all right? We cast our cares on people. But you know what happens when we do that? When I have that phone call, when I go into the session, when I meet with my friend, at the end of the day, when that phone call is over and when that session is over, I still own the worry. It comes back to me. I reel it back in and I take it with me. But there's something different about casting your cares on God and relocating them on God. Because when you relocate them on God and you let God have them, everyone all right? <laughs> Listen, you leave them there. You don't reel them back in. He takes them. And there's a significant difference between casting our cares anywhere else than God, because when we cast them on him, we can leave them. And that's what Paul is telling you to do, is to take all the worry, the anxiety, cast it on him, and leave it there. But how do you do it? That's the question. And Paul says that right in the middle of verse 6 there. He says, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And here's how you do it, Paul says. But in 
everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Now that word prayer that's in that verse, uh, that word we know, right? I think you know, most of us know what prayer means, even if you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, even if church is a little bit new to you. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about conversation with God. And so that we would, we would come and we would spend time talking to him. But that word supplication is a little bit different, isn't it? If we went around the room and just took our best guesses at supplication, that might be a little bit tougher. Supplication is a word that means to ask for something. But it also has the meaning of being very specific. In fact, so what I think Paul is telling the church and telling you and me is not that we would come before God and just say, God, I'm worried, God, I'm anxious, although that, that's a good thing to do. But I think Paul is saying there's something very powerful about coming before the Lord and saying very specifically why you're worried and anxious. And I don't know how many of us really take the time to think that through in our day-to-day -day life, nevertheless, to actually bring that to the Lord in prayer. We know we're worried and we know we're anxious, but about what specifically? And I think what Paul is saying to you and to me is that we're supposed to go before the Lord in prayer and very specifically say to him, what is it that's causing you worry and causing you fear? So you go before the Lord and you don't just say, God, I'm worried today. You say, God, I'm worried because school year's just started. And there's this certain expectation in my family and in, in the people that I spend time with that I would get certain grades and that I would, I would pursue a certain path, that I would go to a certain type of school, that I would have a certain degree. And I'm really worried because as I start this school year, I'm not sure that's me. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to let everybody around me down. That's why I'm worried. God, I'm anxious. I'm anxious because every day in my marriage seems a little bit worse than the day before. And I'm worried about where that's going to go. God, I'm anxious because the last two quarters we haven't hit our sales figures and I'm dependent upon that commission check. And if I don't get the commission check, there's a good chance that I can't pay the mortgage. And so I'm worried and anxious. I think Paul calls you and me to get specific with the Lord. To bring before him the things that makes us worried and anxious. To lay it down. To not just cast the feeling of worry, but to cast the fact that our kids are going into a new school for the first time. Or they're moving away from home for the first time. And we are fearful and worried and anxious about what might happen to them. If you look at the back side of this card, and I'd encourage you to grab a pen if you have one with you, or there should be some in the seat backs in front of you. I'm wondering today, as you sit here in this place, what are you anxious about? What are you worried about? 
I'm not going to ask you to share any of these things with anyone or your neighbor or say them out loud. But I'm going to ask you right now if you'd take a moment and write some things down. I mean specifically. What is causing you worry today? Right on the left-hand side of that card. I think for all of us, there's the specific things. There's the diagnosis. There's the family dynamics. And then there's the the big things, too. Where our world is going, economy, all sorts of things. Where are you worried today? Before we move on too quickly, we need to make sure that we understand that Paul is not just telling us here, you and me, to come before God and be clear. He's not just telling us to come before the Lord and name what it is that makes us worried and anxious. He also tells us to do something else. He says to do this with, what's the word there? Oh, say it out. With what? With thanksgiving, Paul tells us to come and do this. To not just come and to lay it down and to tell him specifically what it is that's being worried, but to do it with thanksgiving. And here's how that sounds. God, I'm worried today. I'm worried because school has just started. And I feel like there's this pressure in my family to get a certain grades, certain grades and go to a certain school so that I can have a certain profession. And I'm just not sure that I'm cut out for it. I'm afraid that I'm going to let everybody down around me. But I thank you. I thank you that you created me and that you have a plan for my life. And no matter what happens from here on out, I can be confident that as long as I don't let you down in your plan for my life, that that will be better than anything that I could come up with or anything that anyone else around me could come up with for me. God, I'm really worried because we haven't hit our sales numbers over the last two quarters, and I'm dependent upon that commission check. And if the commission check doesn't come in, then I don't know that I'm going to be able to pay the mortgage. But I thank you because you are the God that created it all and that you own it all. And you're the one who knows all of my needs and my family's needs, and you are the one who has promised to meet all of my needs. And you know we need a place to be, and you know we need a place to live. And even if it's not the place that we would choose, we're going to trust that you have something better. Paul's calling you and me to come before the Lord and not just bring the specifics of what it is that we have worry and anxiety over, but to very clearly thank God for the truths about who he is. And I felt compelled in the first service to say, and I'll say it again, I want to distinguish this. We're not talking here about what I would call prosperity gospel or health and wellness gospel. We're not saying here that that if you get the diagnosis or you're in the painful place or you're short on money, that you come before the Lord and you say, God, I'm worried about the lack of money, but I thank you because I know that no matter what, if I give you $50, the guy on TV said you'd give me $500, and I thank you for that. Okay, that's a different thing. We're talking about grounding the request in the truth of who God is. 
And that may be you saying, God, I'm really worried. I feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death because I just got a diagnosis or my child just got a diagnosis that I can't handle right now. But I thank you that your word says that when David found himself in the valley of the shadow of death, he had no fear because you were with him. And I thank you that you're with me. That's what it might sound like. So I wonder right now on the right-hand side of this card, you have those things that you're worried about today. What are you thankful about? What are you thankful about? Are you thankful as we saying that the battle's already been won? Are you thankful that God knows your needs and promises to meet them? I had someone say to me after the first service today, he said, I could not believe the impact it made on my heart when I specifically wrote down my worries and then I specifically wrote down something I was thankful about with God that addressed that worry. And I want to encourage you not to miss this opportunity. What are you thankful about today? The what, Paul tells us, is to let our, make our requests known to God. The process that Paul gives us is this process of, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving to let them be made known to God. And then he gives us the result in verse 7. And the result of all of this, he says in verse 7, is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it doesn't make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying is if you want to rid yourself of anxiety, you need to relocate your worry. And if you want to relocate your worry, then you need to name it specifically and thank God for taking it. And when you relocate that worry, you create the space for the peace of God to move in. As long as worry consumes all, we will consistently shut out the peace of God. But Paul comes in and he says, listen, you walk through this process of coming before the Lord in prayer and you start talking to him and you get very specific about what you're worried about and you thank him for who he is and how he takes care of these things and how he's watching over you. And what happens is you create that space is that the peace of God moves in. But before we go this morning, I want to make sure we pay attention to what I think is the most important phrase in the verses. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. Don't miss the in Christ Jesus. That phrase grounds the entirety of these verses. Because there's only one way that the peace that Paul is talking about, the peace of God, can come into your life. And that is through Jesus Christ. There's a researcher um, named Sheena Iyengar. And she wrote a book called The Art of Choosing. 
I really like, if you, if you know me at all, you know that I have a favorite genre of books. And my favorite genre of books are what I call the airport books. You know the airport books? They're all those like leadership business books, like Malcolm Gladwell, Daniel Pink. Anyone know what I'm talking about? No, am I on my own here? All right. Some people know what I'm talking about. Of course, the librarian knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and Sheena Iyengar, her book, The Art of Choosing, it falls right into that genre. She's done a lot of interesting research over the years on, on how people make choices. Maybe you've heard, I don't know if you've heard, I, this is my own little sort of stuff I geek out on, but she, came, she did this study where she gave people just a couple of jams they could sample and choose from, like four or five, and then she set up another station. This had a huge impact on sales and marketing where she set up 30 uh, or so jams, and they found out that they made 30% more sales when they only gave people four choices as opposed to 30. So that's really what she's known for. But in her book, she talks about where she started her research. And her very first uh, research project, when uh, she was in graduate school around this idea of choice, was to survey people along nine different places in a spectrum between very fundamental religious belief, meaning they're crazy enough like I am to believe that this book is true and that what God says is what we should do, all the way to very uh, liberal and even um, atheistic belief. And she had nine sort of stops along the way that she identified. And her hypothesis was that as she interviewed these people from these nine different stages— that uh, the more liberal they became, uh, the, the more free they would feel. In fact, the less worry and anxiety they would feel. And that the, the more fundamental they were, uh, the more they would feel constricted and anxious, like they were trying to live up to some standard. So she did her research. And she was honest at the end of her research that she was very surprised by what she found that she found that the greatest hope and optimism existed on the end of the scale where people believed that God was who he says he is and that the scripture was true and that we were supposed to do what God says, that that's where the greatest hope and optimism lied. And she said the greatest pessimists and the people most prone to depression were the Unitarian category and the atheist category. Now here's what she concluded. And this is where I think Sheena loses her way. Her conclusion was that actually having rules is helpful because it gives you less choice. And so you could say, hey, we're going we're gonna to leave this afternoon and we're going to do this and that and all these things. We could, we could figure out all sorts of different ways to get in trouble. But if you have rules, you don't even have to figure out that battle. You just follow the rules and that gives you hope and optimism. Now, I fundamentally disagree with that conclusion. I'll tell you why. Because if we really got into Paul and we flip back to the book of Romans, Paul's going to tell you the greatest source of trouble in your life and tension in your life is the fact that God has all these rules and you can't live up to them. There is a giant battle happening between the power of your flesh and the power of sin and the power of God. And that battle creates a great tension. And in fact, if you're just living by the rules of Christianity, if that's all that you're doing is just trying to keep a bunch of rules, you're not going to be filled with hope and optimism, at least not for long. You're going to be defeated and you're going to walk away. What Sheena Iyengar didn't understand in her research 
was that the hope and optimism, the freedom from anxiety, the freedom from worry that we find in our faith is not because of the rules. Paul doesn't say, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in the rules. Paul doesn't say, um, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds as long as you're in church 50 weeks a year. And this is so important because I guarantee you there's someone in the room right now or someone watching online. There is someone that you're saying to yourself, listen, I would like to be free of worry and anxiety. And I see these Christians and I know them. And some of them seem free from worry and anxiety. So I'm going to try to be like them. I'm not sure if I like them. They have some crazy beliefs. But I'm going to try to be like them because I want to get free of worry and anxiety in my life. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to come to church and you're going to try to be a better person. And that's going to work for a few weeks but it's gonna wear off. You're gonna come to church and the preacher's ranting and raving and throwing fishing lines around and you're gonna say, what is this? What is going on here? Because it's not in the rules and it's not in coming to church. All of those things are there as the result of something greater, which is that that peace and hope and optimism, it doesn't come from the rules, it comes in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it comes. And the fact that I live my life a certain way is out of that relationship. Just like the fact that I try to live my life a certain way because I have a relationship with my wife or a relationship with my children or a relationship with my friends and my parents. And so I act a certain way and I behave a certain way out of relationship. It's the same way with Jesus. I'm not following the rules so I can gain some hope and worry and, and less anxiety. I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship frees me from all worry and anxiety. And then I go and live out of gratefulness for who Jesus Christ is. That's how it works. And so don't miss this phrase. Because if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're going to try to manufacture some sort of freedom for worry by just hanging around and trying to follow some rules, I'm telling you it's not going to work. The only way it's going to work is if you submit your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and build relationship with him. Then you begin to experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And I'll tell you how this works. I told you I've been around for a little while, about two decades, and I've been on staff as a pastor at Mount Hope a little over 15 years. And right after I I started on staff as a pastor, not too long, um, I had to make a a visit in the hospital. My office in the church used to be before, we've we've been in Belmont for six and a half years, but I was here for a while, and my office was in this room over here where Pastor Marvin's office is right now, and uh, out in in the main area in the office there, our office administrator was Mary Bassler, and now I've just been here too long. All these people are moving on and moving south and all these things, but Mary Bassler was there, if any of you know Mary, and when Mary was sick or Mary was on vacation, There was another woman that she used to call into the office uh, who would take her place for the day. And I I loved this woman. And some of you, I mean, you've got to be an old timer here to to get this one, all right? But there was a woman named Mary O'Brien, all right? Aven knows it, all right? A woman named Mary O'Brien who would come in and fill in for, for Mary Bassler. Now, I loved Mary because Mary had no idea how the phones worked. 
She had no idea how the computer worked. And this was back when people used to actually call the church office. Now you text us or you email us or whatever you do to get a hold of us. People used to call the church office. She'd pick up the phone and then she'd just have to yell. She'd be like, Elaine, line seven. You know, that's all she knew to do. And she was the best. She could fold the bulletins and she was awesome to talk to. And there came a time uh, not long after I started uh, on staff here is where Mary was in the hospital and she got some really bad news. And the doctors came to her and said, Mary, your time on this earth is short. And so I think I was the only person, only pastor in the office that day. So it was on me to to go and visit her in the hospital. I hadn't done that much, especially in situations this serious. I was walking down these steps here and out these front doors, and I saw coming up the steps uh, someone who was here in the first service with us, Edgar Bartlett. Many of you probably know Edgar. Edgar is 98. They basically built this church around him. He was sitting here, and we just built this church around him. (laughs) Edgar is awesome, and he has experienced everything. Immigrating from Barbados as a young man. I remember one time I helped Edgar move out of his house. I'll tell you this. I didn't tell first service because he was here, but I'll tell you. Uh, I helped him move out of his old house, and we were going through his desk drawers. He had this beautiful roll-top desk, and we were going through all the papers. Edgar has had every job known to man ever. We're going through the papers. He's like, oh, this is when I had my farm in Medfield, and here's my barber's license. I'm not making this up. And here's my real estate license, and this is when I drove an MBTA bus for 17 years. He's done everything. It's amazing. So I saw Edgar walking up the steps, and I was nervous about this whole thing, and I said, Edgar, uh, I'm going to visit Mary O'Brien in the hospital. Would you come with me, please? Come with me. 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 And he said, sure. So we drove over to Leahy Clinic here, and we were sitting in the ICU. And Mary was uh, lucid, talking to us. And I'll tell you, something happened that I really wasn't ready for. Mary got really, really upset. Such a faithful woman, but really upset. And she started crying, and she said, I don't understand it. She was getting more and more emotional, louder and louder. She said, I thought God told me I had five years left or 10 years left. There's things that I'm supposed to do that aren't done yet. And the more she talked about it, the more upset she became and she was crying. And honestly, I didn't know what to do. I was totally taken aback by it. And I was sitting there trying to remember all the things that they taught me in intro to pastoral counseling and seminary in my one like 13-week course. And I didn't think anything that I could come up with would be helpful. I didn't think a chart of the five stages of grief would be helpful. I didn't think, I didn't think me saying, oh, Mary, it sounds like you're emotional. Tell me more about that. I didn't think any of that would be helpful in that moment. I didn't know what to do. And Edgar, as only he could, you know, a young spry 83, whatever he was, (laughs) but been through a lot with the Lord. Mary was going on and on and getting more and more upset. And he started saying, Mary, 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 to the point that the nurse's station started, you know, peeking in. And she finally said, what? And he said, Mary, 
Jesus Christ came to this earth and died and rose again and knows you and has relationship with you and has a better plan for your life. And whether it's today or tomorrow or 10 years from now, you are going to see him face to face and you are going to live with him in eternity. Mary, you know this is true. Do you know what happened in that room? Peace. Peace. She wasn't shouted down. The peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding. Doesn't make sense to anyone in the in the rooms around us how someone could go from so upset about dying to being so peaceful about dying. It doesn't make sense. But it comes and it guards your heart and it guards your mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, as you go through your week, as you go through this week and the worry comes, take it to God in prayer be thankful that you can leave it there. Take it to God in prayer and be thankful that you can leave it there. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of who you are in the midst of an ever-changing and challenging world. God, thank you that for all the things that we walk through, all the big things that are happening in our world, war and injustice, down to the little things that are happening in our families, the challenges in relationship, the loneliness we feel, the uncertainty about tomorrow. God, thank you that we can come and leave it at your feet. Lord, I pray today for the person that is just beginning a new relationship with you, the person that is coming before you and repenting and asking you to be in control of their life, saying they're sorry for their sin and asking you to take charge. God, would you begin a work through your Holy Spirit, transforming their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus. Renew them that they might experience your peace. And for those of us that have known you for a while, God, by your spirit, give us the discipline. Give us the discipline to cast our cares upon you. Ground them in who you are and leave them there. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and let's declare the truth about